Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Matt Fisher, um, for those of you who um, I haven't met yet, and I am the care pastor here at Hill City. It is my great honor um, to be here in front of you all today. Um, my hope for today is not necessarily that I will impart something new to you, um, but rather that um, I will say something or the Holy Spirit will say something through me that will draw something out of you. I have a deep belief that you all have a knowledge of God that you may um, be asleep to or not aware of um, that is always waiting to be awakened already inside of you. So my hope is that maybe a little bit of that will happen today. Um, I'm going to start by apologizing if I seem uh, tired or all over the place. I have been volunteering with my daughter's theater group. They're putting on Cinderella and I've been doing tech this week. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, teenagers are dramatic. Uh, And the backstage of a theater production full of teenagers is a very exhausting place to be. So, hopefully I can match the energy that, that you all um, are expecting today. Um, so, it is my... Daniel, are we okay on my iPad? Yeah, okay. Um, we were having trouble earlier. It is um, a great honor to be here for a couple of reasons. First off, I am going to be sort of following up um, the message from last week. Um, which uh, the big idea from Cliff last week was your quality of life depends upon the quality of your relationships. Um, It's super, super honoring for me to be able to follow up that um, message because Cliff is actually a friend and has been a teacher of mine over the last two or three years. Um, So I almost feel ill-equipped to add anything um, to what he said. If you weren't here last week, I super, super encourage you to go back and listen to that Um, message online, but also you'll be able to keep up. I'm not going to reference what he said too much. So the big idea for last week, again, was that your quality of life depends upon the quality of your relationships. Does that feel, or did it feel last week, sort of exhausting to anyone else? (laughs) Like, ugh. I already have enough friends, or like, I can barely keep the friends I have, or my kids won't let me have one more friend, or I can't, it's hard to get here on Sunday, it's hard to get to my community group, my discipleship, I can't even play rec volleyball without like calling out sick half of the time. It's so hard to build our relationships, especially I think nowadays. Um, I think that uh, that has to do with a couple of different things. I'm not going to get super into these things, but I just want you to kind of be kind to yourself. It is hard right now to build the quality of our relationships. Um, It's hard because of social media. I think it's hard because of our obsession with productivity. I think it's hard because of our lack of communication. But I think the reason it's hard, which is what I'm going to talk about today, the number one reason I think it's so hard to increase the quality of our lives and thus increase the quality of our relationships, is because we don't have a great relationship with ourselves, with our true selves. So the big idea for today is your quality of life depends on the quality of your relationships. And the quality of your relationships with others depends on the quality of your relationship to yourself. So this is what we're going to unpack today. Um, we're going to be, I'm going to kind of jump all over the place scripture-wise, but we're going to start um, in a very, if you've grown up in church, or honestly, if you went to kindergarten in this country, you learned the golden rule, right? Treat others as you'd like to be treated. So this should be familiar to everybody. Um, we're going to start in Matthew 22:34 through 40. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I'm going to unpack this a little bit before we move forward because this is one of the reasons that this thing, the golden rule, exists. One of the reasons that, like, no matter what background you're from, um, no matter what your parents believe, even probably no matter what your kindergarten teacher believed, when you go to school at some point, um, you are taught, hey, treat others the way that you'd like to be treated. Um, this moment in history, which we do believe is historical here um, as a, a church that follows Jesus, totally rewrote the software for how we live. It is hard for us sitting here now, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're going through, your circumstances right now, no matter the pain that you've been through, it's hard for us to understand exactly the weight of this moment. This is, you know, we call it a mic drop now. This is the ultimate mic drop for Jesus. He's already uh, pretty much silenced, uh, silenced one uh, group of legal, legal and religious scholars, the Sadducees. Then the Pharisees step up, and they're really like the lawyers. They, and then sort of the best lawyer of the group walks forward, and they're trying to nail Jesus um, figuratively, later, literally. Um, and they're trying to just like pin him to the wall and prove that he's a blasphemer and a fake and not the Messiah. And so um, they basically, when they say teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, you have to understand for Jews in the first century and still for many faithful Jews today, and hopefully for us um, if we call ourselves Christian, this idea of the law, especially for these people at this time, was the whole thing. This was purpose. This was direction. This was the law that was greater than the law of the land. Really what they're asking him is, Jesus, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life. He gives them simultaneously um, an answer that is like perfectly Jewish and perfectly fits in and is sort of above reproach. Um, because he, he quotes um, the Ten Commandments, but they also, this is part of a larger scripture, I think in Exodus, um, that is part of a Jewish prayer called the Shema that some of you may, if you have Jewish friends or even very, very reformed Jews pray this prayer. Um, and they pray it every day. It's kind of like how you learn the Lord's Prayer when you're growing up in Sunday school. So it's part of the Shema, it's part of a very important prayer. Um, so he quotes this like a, like a good Jewish boy, and then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. It is wild to start comparing commandments at this part, like at this time, to start saying one's more important than the other, or one's like this one, um, to try to, to level out these two things was a wild thing for him to do. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's basically saying, view the rest of the law through these two commandments. You can put love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength as a hook on the wall and hang all your coats on it. All of your religious coats, your life coats. This, he's basically saying, this is the meaning of life. Um, and the world was never the same. Again, even for folks that um, don't, believe in Jesus or don't know what they think about God, we are still taught as young children, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Are we not? Right. 
So, Jesus presents the golden rule and thus changes history. Now, it's funny, I kind of want to focus on not what Jesus says. I know I just spent a bunch of time on what Jesus said. But, you know, here we teach a lot about what Jesus says, and we don't actually think a whole lot about what he doesn't say, what he could have said. We need to understand that in this moment, Jesus could have said anything. Like, he's the son of God. He is the physical incarnation, the manifestation, and the intellectual representation of the God of the universe. He could say whatever he wants. He could teach any way that the father was guiding him. He could have said, love your neighbor the way you love God. Love God the way you love your neighbor. Love your neighbor only as much as they love you back. But he chose to say, love your neighbor as yourself. I would go so far as to say that he may have meant, and hang with me, he may have meant that you cannot love God if you can't love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor well if you can't love yourself well. Now, this idea of self-care, right, um, it's kind of, uh, it's been twisted by our culture. I want to talk about that really quickly, and I'm going to try not to go off on a rabbit trail about consumer culture. But um, if you know me, you just clenched up like, oh, Matt's going to talk about capitalism. Um, So... uh, Our culture, I think, you know, for all time, but for us in our context sitting here in our age ranges, you know, it kind of started after World War II. Hey, look, well done. You know, everybody came home. Well, a lot of guys came home. Well done, good and faithful servant. You you saved the world. Um, The country and the world is different now. Um, treat yourself, right? That's what we say now. You do you, right? Like, we have consumer goods for you. We have services. We have dishwashers and vacuums and, um, and country clubs and all of these things to sort of treat yourself with. Like, you deserve it. You just had a really awful experience as a culture. We kind of feel that way now coming out of COVID. Like, I can't tell you how many of our standards as a family went out the door <laughs> during quarantine. Have, yeah, just the whole bag of Doritos, whatever. Like, just... <laughs> Says that you're growing up in the worst time ever. Have another Debbie cake, little Debbie cake or whatever. Um, and so our culture has really twisted this into and conformed it to our God of production and consumption. Right? We exist in a culture of supply and demand. Good. Economics 101, right? Um, so as producers, we spend all day producing. Um, That may mean you're a teacher, that may mean you're a parent, that may mean you're a teacher and a parent, or a nurse, or a lawyer, or um, you may run a business that does distribution for construction equipment. Whatever it is, you spend all day consuming, you burn yourself out, and then the market, the culture, comes up and says, oh, I've noticed you're burnt out. Well, don't I have something for you? Here's a spa. Here's a new car every year. You deserve it. So this is our sort of twisted idea of self-love or self-care. It's the the you-do-you culture. But what I'm here to tell you today, and this is one of my main points, is that loving yourself is not about doing or buying for yourself. It's about knowing yourself. My kids don't know that I love them because I buy them whatever they want or because I volunteer at their insane theater program. (laughs) They know that I love them because I'm there for them, because I know them, and because I make them feel seen. My friends and me know that we love one another because we see one another and we know one another. So 
to love yourself is to know yourself. And the only way that you can love your neighbor is to know your neighbor. And the only way to know your neighbor is to know yourself. And the only way to love and know God is to know yourself, love your neighbor, and then love God. That's really what, I mean, end of sermon. I could, this is it. But now I'm going to stretch it out for like 20 more minutes. Um, So how do we love ourselves well? We've been inundated with all of these ideas of buy yourself things, do like get another manicure, stay out late, you deserve it. Like get another car, get another, you know, buy a bigger house. Um, You know, just sit on the couch and binge Netflix and eat kettle corn for seven hours. I've never done that. Um, You know, treat yourself this way. But how do we really love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor? Well, I think that there's really three questions, just teeny tiny little questions (laughs) that we need to answer um, if we are going to answer that. To know ourselves, we must know three basic things. What am I? Who am I, and why am I here? So in 15 minutes, (laughs) we're gonna do these no big deal existential questions, right? The first one is, what am I? What is it that makes me me? Again, uh, I'm gonna try to teach on the nature of being in like five minutes, but we're gonna do it, we can do it. What am I? this is something that I learned from, actually, it's a, it's a little bit of a funny story I won't get into, but it's a distant cousin of mine, a guy who has devoted his whole life to spiritual seeking um, and to, uh, actually, he, he makes tea. He lives in Taiwan, and he, like, picks tea, and he grows it, and, and uh, he's a very wise, very humble dude. Um, but he kind of taught it to me like this, and it always made a lot of sense. Here is the same tree, Right? Would anyone here say that the tree on the left is any more or less a tree than the tree on the right? No, it's the same tree. I know, because Google told me that this is the same tree. The tree on the left um, is in full bloom. It's in the middle of the spring, maybe the summer. Um, The tree on the right is dead. It's in the middle of the winter. Do we think that the tree on the right will become the tree on the left again in spring? No. We have no reason not to believe that. We are like, a lot of the time, we are like the tree on the right. All of our leaves have sort of failed us. They've fallen away. We're in a a sort of winter. The problem with us, and this has been my problem a lot in my life, is that we don't believe we'll become the tree on the left again. We think it's over. It can never bloom again. We can never bloom again. But here's the thing, and here's the main point of this illustration. Your feelings, your circumstances, your environment, your trauma, your hurt, your successes, your joys, um, the things you like to do for fun, even things that are important, your family, your friends, your, um, your ideas, your political ideologies, your economic status, all of those things are leaves on a tree. They are important. We don't want the tree to stay like the tree on the right. But they are like the leaves on a tree. They don't make you who you are. There is an essential unis of you. It's what we call the imago Dei. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And you are you. The sort of treeness of the tree, the unis of you, is more than your leaves or your branches or what season you're in. What you are, and I'm gonna show you some scripture to prove it, 
is the physical manifestation of the God of the universe. No other creature or created thing can do what you do when you look in the mirror and ask, who am I? What am I? What am I for? Nothing else can do that. The reason that you can say, what am I? Or that you can say, I am, is because you are like a little version of the great I am. You have a consciousness. You have these things that the Lord has imbued you with, and it doesn't matter what your leaves are. You are you. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. That's John 1, 1 through 3. That is my favorite verse in the Bible. In Colossians 3.3, it says your life, in some translations it says your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If you don't hear anything, I'm front-loading this message, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. The creator of everything, both conceivable and inconceivable, sang his song of creation into the void and what echoed back was you. The real you lays hidden with Christ and God from before the origins of time itself. Before the first sun crested the horizon, before the first passing of the ocean's tide, God loved you. You, the you-ness of you. He loved you so much that his love manifested itself as you sitting here right now. He loves you so much the you that is beyond what you've done or not done, what's been done to you, so much that he came down into his own creation and suffered with us. That's, that's, the, that's the message. I, don't, <laughs> like, I want you to hear that I want you to walk away, if nothing else, with that. See, a lot of us feel kind of like the invisible man. You guys ever, this is like an old movie. I think maybe they did a, a remake. We feel like the invisible man. We think that if we take off the sunglasses and the house coat and the gloves, that no one will see us and that we, we almost won't exist, we'll cease to exist. We think that if someone were to pull away all of our ideas and our emotions and our shame and our experiences and our successes and our failures, that there would be nothing left. But brothers and sisters, God sees you and loves you without your achievements and beyond your failures. You can take off the bandages that are binding you up that you think are making you more real and more there. You can take those off before the Lord and feel totally vulnerable and totally yourself. My prayer is that as you want to increase the quality of your life, that you'll increase the quality of your relationships so there are people in your life that you can take the bandages and the house coat and the sunglasses off in front of and be vulnerable with them and be real with them and trust that they love you for the you-ness of you. The second question, who am I? Oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, the, que the, the answer to this is simple and a little confusing. But I've said it. You are you. The problem is when you try and be something or someone else. The problem is this idea of the false self, of sin, 
uh, as the Bible calls it and as we refer to it as here. The problem is not when you are you, it's when you become who you think you are. You ever have like mom or dad, who do you think you are, right? It's when you become who you think you are. I'm gonna leave some of the teaching in this section up to people smarter and older or dead um, than me, deader than me. <laughs> uh, the first one is from Soren Kierkegaard. He was a really famous philosopher um, and also sort of a father of psychology in some ways. Um, and he said, now with God's help, I shall become myself. A more uh, recent version of this is from John Ortberg um, from a book that I think that we do in discipleship here called uh, The Me I Want to Be. He says, God designed you to be you. His big idea here is that when your life is over and your body passes away and you meet the Lord, God is not going to look at you and say, why weren't you more like Moses? Why weren't you more like Martin Luther King Jr. or Beyonce or your neighbor or your dad or whatever? He's going to look at you and say, Matt, why weren't you more you? I made you you. Be as you as you can be, right? You are my unique expression of my love for the universe. Be more like yourself. I'm gonna not shock most of you and, and read a quote from um, Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was um, a monk uh, in the 50s and 60s, I think he started in the 40s. Um, Cliff quoted him last week, and I think Wags might have quoted him the week before. Apparently we are in a John Merton phase, or Thomas Merton phase. Um, he says it like this. A tree gives glory to God by being a tree. For in being what God means it to be, it is obeying God. It consents, so to speak, to God's creative love. It is expressing an idea which is in God and which is not distinct from the essence of God. And therefore, a tree imitates God by being a tree. Here's his main point. For me to be a saint is to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is, in fact, the problem of finding out who I am and discovering my true self, not the self you built for yourself, the self that God created you to be from be the beginning of time. Now, you might be saying, but Matt, what if who I am is just someone who gets blackout drunk four nights a week? Just who I am. Uh, what if uh, who I am is someone who always puts himself first? What if who I am is somebody, again, who eats a bag of Doritos and binges Netflix instead of goes to work? What if that's who I am? Brothers and sisters, that is not who you are. Those are the things you do to avoid who you are. Those are the things, those are the coping me mechanisms that you've come up with to avoid the hurt that a broken and sinful world has done to your real self, thus drawing you into sin. In Romans, Paul says it like this, for the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. For the mind governed by the false self is death, but the mind governed by the true self in Christ is life and peace. Um, in the Old Testament, they talk about seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, revenge, envy, selfishness. Keep going. Whatever this looks like for you. This is not who you are. These are the things you do to avoid who you are. These are the things you do to survive in a world who desperately wants you to be who you think you are rather than who you actually are. This is um, 
in sort of therapy jargon, what we call the adaptive self. It's our coping mechanisms. When the Bible talks about the flesh, a lot of the time it, it links really well to this idea of the adaptive self. That sin oftentimes looks like this. Mom is sitting at the table working on the computer, working from home. Baby's crawling around on the floor, right? Mom has to get through this phone call or she's going to lose her job. And if she loses her job, she can't provide for baby. Baby desperately needs their diaper changed. Um, that is a need that the baby has and has no words or, or ideas to express that. All they can do is either cry or act out. So mom's doing what she's supposed to do and baby is doing what babies do. But eventually, mom is ignoring baby. Baby walks over, cries, calls out, and eventually walks over to the coffee table, knocks over a glass and breaks up. And thus, the adaptive self is born. I ha and then mom gives attention to baby. Sorry, I should have said that. So then mom finally is like, oh no, and has to give attention to baby, finds out baby has a poopy diaper and changes baby's diaper. Thus, the adaptive self is born. It happens to all of us. It's this idea of being born into sin or being born into a sinful world. What Paul's telling us in Romans is that that doesn't have to be the way you live, though. That doesn't have to drive the car for the rest of your life. Um, now, again, you might be thinking, well, so I'm just supposed to like show up to every situation as my absolute, enlightened, <laughs> fully realized self, right? Um, that's a lot to ask, Matt. No, I don't right? There's this thing called personality. This word personality comes from a Latin word, uh, persona. And in Latin, persona means like a mask or a part that an actor plays. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We all have it. I can't show up here and teach you guys and be your pastor in the exact same way that I show up uh, to band practice or that I show up with my kids or that I show up um, with my parents, right? We all have these roles that we play. The problem becomes when you forget who you are and you get lost in the role. Like when you become a, they call it method acting, like you kind of forget who you are and in between takes you're playing a villain and then you start to be a jerk in between uh, the movie getting made, right? Like you have to remember who you really are. Um, now when we talk about this idea, I want to touch on this real quick. We talk about this idea of um, showing up as who you really are and being self-sacrificing. A lot of us, if we were raised in the church, you're sort of taught, rightfully so, because it is in the Bible, this denial of self, this taking up your cross, right? So you um, may have experienced that in healthy ways and may have experienced it in not so healthy ways. When I'm talking about being the real you, not being those sins that are what you do to survive or what you do to avoid the real you. I'm also not talking about um, being a doormat. I'm not talking about um, letting a partner or a friend or a boss or someone in your life walk all over you. Um, a lot of the times there, there are folks who kind of take that, take up your cross, deny yourself language and... Um, sort of mishandle it in a way that causes them a lot of pain and trauma because they sort of set themselves up as doormats. Being a doormat for an abusive person in your life is not denying yourself. It's living into the false self that tells you that you're not worthy of respect, that you're not made in the image of God. For many of us, that feeling of like doing, doing, doing for others, um, 
you know, having no boundaries is just as much an avoidance of who you really are as some, you know, getting drunk or being selfish or whatever. Um, so now that brings us to our third big question. Why am I here? What is the meaning of life, Jesus? Um, I'm going to start with a quote, again, by someone smarter than me, uh, William Blake. He says, And we are put on this earth a little space for a little while that we might learn to bear the beams of love. Why do you exist? It's a very simple answer. To love and to be loved. When they ask Jesus, what is the meaning of life? What is the law and the prophets? He answers them very simply. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John, um, it says this. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. Here's what I should have put up at the beginning, let you look out for 15 minutes and then let the band play a couple of songs. God loves you so that you can love yourself. In loving yourself, you can love others and thus return love to God. And the cycle begins over and over again. The beautiful thing about this is if you break this cycle, God loves you anyway. He will continue to love you until you learn to love yourself. Jesus says, come to me, um, for, for from me flows living water. He wants it to flow from you as well. He doesn't want to give you a little bit of living water so that you can then dump your cup into somebody else's cup and be empty. He wants it to flow eternally from you so that you can fill up others and that they can be overflowed and fill up others and thus show our love for God. God is loving you into existence so that you may learn to love by loving others, which you can only do by loving and knowing yourself. We love ourselves because God loves us so much. Um, I'll invite the band back up, and we're going to take a couple of minutes just to think through um, a few questions um, prayerfully, quietly, while we prepare to worship. Here are the two questions. What in my life seems like self-care, but never seems to change things? Sometimes we say, oh, you've got to go get your hair cut at this place. It'll change your life. Does it? Does it change the course of your life? No. What is a time when I tried to love my neighbor without first loving myself? How did that work out? Let's take a couple of minutes to think through that, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Father in heaven, Lord, holy and precious and worthy is your name. Lord, I just pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Lord, that your will for us to um, love ourselves and know ourselves in the way that you love us, not in the ways that we invent, so that we can love others, Lord, um, and so that your love can be spread and can be known and that we can awaken to the kingdom that is coming here to earth. Lord, um, forgive us when we fail to do this. Continue to pour your grace out on us as we stumble through understanding who we are. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.